always a joy to see the little ones going off to learn more about their king. I was thinking this week about, um, you know, some of us have been, you know, after uh, celebrating Easter, coming off of Holy Week, and I just think Jesus is no joke. This is, think of how he suffered and, you know, in his final hours before going to the cross had been beaten and mocked and spat upon and so weakened that he could, he could barely even carry the cross and he needed somebody else's help just to get him up the hill. And then once he got to the hill, he had been crucified and, and hung there on the cross, dying that gruesome death and still being mocked as he goes through that. But then on the third day, he shows up out of the tomb with like, and now and not, he doesn't come out of the tomb like limping, like, like he had just been crucified or somebody had kicked him in his knee or something like that. You know, like, like somebody my age would feel like after playing soccer or basketball, right? Like you need to, you gotta kind of need to ice up your knee a little bit after, you know, you tried to school the young kids, you know, and they schooled you and, uh, doing a crossover or something like that. And now you gotta get the icy hot. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't go, he didn't go through that. I mean, he came out of the tomb and he was just kind of like, that's done. He conquered death. With this, I mean, Jesus is all-powerful, the, the Lion of Judah, the one who is able to conquer all the things that we, that we fear, and namely sin and death itself. I mean, that is a wonderful thing, and, and, and um, it is beyond comprehension, and it is, and it is worth our meditation, and, and it is worth our celebration over and over again. Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead, he made breakfast for his disciples while they were curious and still wondering what to do next. And so Jesus comes to us this morning to feed us with his word. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went, took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And he sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might 
and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we uh, continue. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor at Christ Central Church once again. And uh, we continue our sermon series through the mission of Christ Central Church. And um, last week, we looked at, if you were here, the same verses. And I promised you a follow-up to it, and that is what we're going to do to in today's sermon. Now, we have been talking about uh, the part of the mission statement um, in the last few last weeks um, about being a diverse community. But now we are going to focus for a few sermons on the last and final piece of our mission statement. We'll linger there for a while, um, which is engaging our world through the renewed dignity that comes from Christ, engaging our world. I don't know whether you realize it or you forgot or you didn't remember it, but Christianity is a religion of mission, of active mission. And I'm not talking about always warring with the culture and being stereotypically and like Christians are caricatured as mean and judgmental and paternalistic and now this is a bad word, evangelical, and it isn't cruel crusaders. The engaging the world in our mission as a church, I hope you will learn, is deeper, more sincere, hopefully, and even, I'm going to say, more intense than what you may have seen or experienced in the past. So hoping you go back and hear last week's sermon online, I'm going to jump right into this, this vision um, the writer John has in the book of Revelation. In this chapter, we with John are allowed to look into God's throne room. And it's more than a throne room. It's his spiritual operation center. And we get a glimpse of the past, present, and future mission of God to save and change our broken lives and world. And we see clearly that the Lord is going to do this through a diverse group of people who will engage this world with the power of God's love and grace. But this will mean these people will have to be, first, a people of prayer, secondly, a people who are there, and finally, a people who share. I did a rhyme on purpose for y'all to remember. Prayer, there share. John's vision takes us once again into the spiritual throne room of God, and what happens there will affect 
the earth. The Bible tells us that John is frustrated to tears because he wants those scrolls we read about, uh, which are God's plans on how God is going to save humankind. He wants those opened up and and let loose because there is so much suffering and emptiness in the world without God's plan of redemption. When the Bible says that finally... The lion of the tribe of Judah, the the lamb of God, Jesus, God's son, says, I came, lived, and died as a human to save the humans, and I will. I am God too. I got what it takes and did what it takes to open it up. I am the one. And everyone and everything up there stops crying, and they sing all these songs in celebration. Now, we don't know exactly who these elders around the throne are, but they are important beings in God's throne room. But look what what they are holding as they celebrate in verse 8 in chapter 5. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They are holding the prayers of the saints. Well, who are the saints? They appear to refer in part to the people in verse 10. Look with me at verse 10. And it says, And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so we know that those people in this vision represent the church. They represent believers in Jesus who live on earth back then, now, and in the future. And like John, they are praying with tears and frustration for help and hope from God. And their prayers are held up to God in these bowls, right? It's kind of a, it's imagery, it's metaphorical. In these bowls like incense, there's a song from the Old Testament written by King David that describes his prayers like this. David says this and wrote this, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer, he says, be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Prayer, and I'm going to add praise in there too. They are indistinguishable at times. When you're in your prayer time, sometimes you praise, sometimes in your praise time you pray, right? And they work hand in hand. But these prayers and praise of God's people are not just what God wants people to do, just to do it and say they do it, to feel holy and good and check it off their spiritual discipline routine list. I hope that's not all it is. Because according to this chapter in this book of Revelation, they are integral to world change and mission to the scrolls having their good way on earth. Understand the Old Testament sacrificial system for a minute. When that lamb sacrifice, smoke, I, I'm, I'm trying not to call it barbecue, but you, you get my point, right? When it went up, it beaconed, right? It, it beckoned, if you will, as in come God, answer God, be God, as in getting God's attention. 
It beaconed God, it beckoned God rather, like a lighthouse as an overhere God, right here in this thing for this problem. God over here in this issue, like a spiritual homing device, not because God is lost or doesn't know or see what you're going through. But these prayers, this, this smoke, this incense is saying to the world and it's saying back to us and it's saying before God, God is going to be all in this situation because his people have lit a smoldering prayer fire. And it means God is pleased to get involved and be recognized as Lord over and in it. Now, I know things have changed recently. Y'all barbecue all the time, right? You grill out there, you got a little gas grill. When I grew up, we didn't have a gas grill. You had the charcoal grill, and that was it. So it took a lot, lot of time to get that thing prepared. And so I grew up in a household as a kid where you didn't grill out unless someone special was over, right? Or something special was going on. So if you went out in your neighborhood and you smelled, smelled like barbecue, you think, is it 4th of July? Did I miss it? Right? Well, what's going on? Who's grilling? And some, if your neighbor grill and you look over, who, who's over there? Right? What's going on? I wasn't invited. You want to see whether you got left out? Right? If all the neighbors are there and you ain't there, you know something was wrong. Right? Prayer is saying, like an incense, that God is the guest of honor and agent of change in this thing, in this dilemma in this celebration and this good thing. But there's something about this aroma of our prayers and praise to God. It is actually pleasing and calling to him because the prayers and praise are dipped in and seasoned with and covered by, the, and they smell like the sacrificial lamb. It reminds me of, um, for those of you who've had it, uh, Kelly's, my wife's chimichurri sauce. Y'all know about that? Crawford's, y'all, y'all eat that like soup. Um, and you can, that chi- um, Amari, y- y'all had that, right? The chim- okay. And that chimichurri sauce, right? Sometimes our little community prayer group, when we eat together, we will bring any meat, right? Just to get it covered in that chimichurri sauce, right? So they're like, hey, it's, it's made for a flank steak, right? Yeah, but we brought chicken. You know, let, let's, just, let's just, just go with that. That's all we could get. I got a hot dog over here, right? Just, I got some bologna. Let's just put some, let's make a bologna and chimichurri sandwich, right? It's a high-end bologna sandwich with that chimichurri. You're just looking for a way to make it work when it's covered in it. And, and sometimes you just use anything as a reason and vehicle to get that sauce. When prayers and praise prayed, are, they are dipped, right, in and seasoned with the righteousness and, and kind of pungent power of Jesus' blood, they and we smell like what pleases God. We smell like his perfect son. And it beckons and, and says to us in, in our world that God is being called and is coming to work here in this and is interceding and is answering us in his way and in his time and his season. And so prayer and praise are central to engaging this world for God. I want you to know that what happens on Sundays in this service and in your personal time is not just personal. 
right? It shouldn't just be personal or just communal or about our personal relationship with God. The prayers and praise are used by God to put in motion change and redemption for this world that is on the scroll. When you worship, did you know the world is about to change? When you pray, the world is changing, which is good news for all the tribes and tongues and people and nation and all the problems and issues that you see and we face, right? You ever just watch or hear or read the news and are like, man, what can I do? I don't have any money. I don't have any power. I don't, I don't, I don't know the president. I can't get on Air Force One and go over there and, and, and do something. I don't, I, I, oh, man, I'm going to have to raise some money to become a missionary to go over there to do something, right? Or I, I, I'm a little afraid of my neighbor, you know. They got some problems going on in that house. In my personality, I just can't get over there. You know, um, Pastor Round talked about doing neighborhood things. Maybe I should throw a cookout and invite everybody over, but I'm scared, right? What can be done to change this? What can be done to comfort this? What can be done to make God see that, that these people over here are being mistreated or manipulated? Or this is a big mess over here and I have no real power and influence. I don't have the personality, if you will, to go on to change what is going on in their minds. Or, or what about that organization or that country or that corporation or, or the White House or, or the Senate? Or, 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 or Guess what? The scripture is saying, oh, yes, you can. Yes, some of you actually do. Did you miss it? The prayers of the saints are influential. And they set the atmosphere, if you will. They're like the, the landing strip or drop zone, if you will, of God's presence and power in the world for all things and all people groups where no one now is unreachable and now nothing is too powerful for God to overcome if you are praying to God for it. So what does this look like for us, Pastor Brown? Well, we have a few prayer warriors, what I would call prayer generals in our church, right? Movement leaders, I would call them at our church. I think about Christine Morgan. She always called, texting, Pastor Ron, what you need prayer for? And you say, I, I just need prayer that God would help me. Here comes another email. What's that mean, right? Terry Cross, she liked to pray a lot, right? Along with the, the whole women shepherds ministry. People are like, what do women shepherds do? They pray a lot. And I get these emails, Pastor Brown, what can we pray for? Uh, okay, let me throw something really impossible at y'all, right? And they want it, right? The prayer lives call for that. And, and the elders of the church, you know one of their primary functions? In Scripture, it says the reason they even came up with what we believe are, are deacons is because the Scripture said we don't want them to, what? Neglect the ministry of the Word and the other powerful thing, prayer. Prayer. And, and, you know, once a month when we have our session meetings, we split up in the groups. So I just want y'all to know how it works. So we have the church, the whole church, everybody who's ever joined, you're on the list. And then some of y'all who snuck in, you know, as common law ma members, some of y'all still end up somehow on there. And, and, and we split it up in parishes and different groups. And we go into rooms and women, shepherds and deacons and elders. And we, we split up and we go through the list. And, and we pray for the list in general. And then we pray for specific 
things that we happen to know that you may be dealing with. Why? Because we know our counseling power is limited. We know we don't have the time to meet with everybody at every time or be there every hour and minute. And, and we know that the, the one thing that is going to powerfully engage you and your world 24-7 are the prayers that we pray over you. So if you're a part of a community group, if you're a part of Bible study, if you're part, if you serve on ministries, right, you should bathe all you do in prayer and praise before God. And then if you walked up here today and, and need access to God's power and presence in your life, you can go to the red chairs that we have up here, you know, but, but you can also email us and call us or get on your knees yourself and say, God, I need you. My world needs you. This has to change, right? You know, here's a, good here's a good way to have prayer time. As some people who are called to engage the world, just turn on CNN, right? You could have a four-hour praise time, couldn't you? Uh, go, just, just go, and then, and then you know what you could do to make your prayer life even more passionate? Because I know we're pretty divided on, you know, which news channel's the best, Right? MSNBC, oh, they too liberal. CNN, oh, they too liberal. Oh, oh, or Fox, oh, they too conservative, right? And we all divided, right? Turn to the station you don't like, okay? Then you'll get real passionate and start praying. <laughs> right? Instead of complaining, you're going to turn to the channel you don't like. Sometimes you turn to stuff that you don't like just to sit and be complaining and moaning, oh, look at this, and why did they say this? And you know that ain't right, and they just angling the news this way. Guess what? Guess what actually changes the world? Guess what's actually incense, right? It's not the radio waves and satellite waves of the news channel. It is actually the incense of God's prayers that actually make it to heaven, and then God's power actually changes what's going on. Have a good long prayer time. Turn on your news channel, the one you like, then the one you don't like, and start praying, right? Instead of complaining. Reminds me of Phil and Laurie Prince. Sometimes, don't, don't where are they at? What, what? Oh, the children's church. Gosh, they're out there praying for the little kids. But, but they have, uh, uh, they host prayer groups for the persecuted church. Did you know the church is suffering all over the world? Did you know the church, having churches is dangerous to your life some places in the world? Like, they aren't thinking about how, how, you know, how many times a youth group is meeting or if the chairs are, 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 are working right or if the sound system is working or like Jace was helping me, my mic ain't up to my mouth enough, right? They're wondering whether they're going to live the next day. They're wondering whether, you know, when the pastor gets home, there ain't no home there. In some places, if they find out you've been doing the church thing or, or not even the church thing. Okay, let's, let's expand it. I'm trying not to go too long, Digger. This is a lot of stuff, and we'll get back to it in our engaging the world. But not only church things, humanitarian things, y'all. Social justice issues that, that, that you want to deal with in some places, you will get killed or in jail if you're if your actions seem opposed to whatever government's there, right? The, the, how do we deal with these things, right? It's, 
It's time that we recognize prayers and praise through Jesus as integral to real change and not just yik-yakking, right? Look, I'm a Presbyterian, uh, and, 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 you know, we kind of heady, so we like to talk about it. Oh, we love to talk. I'm a talker, and I talk with passion like I know what I'm talking about too, right? And Like I know what's going to fix it. Well, you know, and man, I am... I have a new problem, a new addiction documentaries. And so I watch these documentaries just so I can talk like I know what I'm talking about and I can know, but knowing is not doing. Right? And you get all this information in your head about this country and that thing and this problem and how this food industry is this way and this. Oh my gosh, there ain't enough information, but there ain't enough prayers. Right? But in order to engage the world, even with prayer and praise, we must be a people who are there for the world. There for the world as those moved by God and moved for the world. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. It says here, and they sang a new song saying, these are the prayers and the saints and all these living creatures. And again, these folk up here in God's throne room, they represent metaphorically, and the imagery is something. There's some creatures up there that don't exist here. It's wild, okay? But it says this in verse verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy of you to open the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is saying that believers, church folk, are a kingdom of priests. We need to go back to the Old Testament, right? The, the old days of the Bible to get a clearer understanding of what it, this means for us today. You see, the priest um, in, in ancient Israel was the town spiritual leader whose whole life was about representing and being a mediator or go between God and a world of people. They were the ones moved by God to give the world what God has for them. What, what, I would describe them as the spiritual baristas of the day, right? They did the grinding, they did the roasting, and then they were the in-between that actually gave you what you want or need. I uh, went uh, with my son who was looking for a job, and at the Starbucks they had a little sign saying, um, help wanted, and, um, and we went and talked to the lady, and I'm standing there, and he's talking, and she goes, I want you to know, we are not employees. I'm like, what? We don't call ourselves employees. We are partners, right? They, they serious about that stuff. You ain't going to work there as an employee. You got to be a partner, right? That little green, that, that thing for real, Right? We are partners. She, and I'm like, we just here to pick up an application, lady. You know what I'm saying? But you're going to preach to us the gospel of Starbucks. So I listened, right? And all of a sudden, all the pictures uh, of the fair trade and all the people in other countries and up on the wall, they kind of prove that, you know, they're getting everything at a fair price and they're about the people and not just the coffee and the profit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. We believe in a company and the values. We just don't sell coffee. We represent Starbucks. So go online and read up about us before you take the interview, right? So when the Bible talks about the priest as people, so when the Bible talks about the priest as people who were always in the presence of God, and they would come out smelling like God. They would come out living like and acting like they had been all up with God, partnered 
with God. Not just an employee, right? Just somebody who, so others could experience God through them. But the New Testament has refined that idea. Because now it says that believers are not just like priests and that they have been with God and in God's presence. But as representatives of God in the world, right? Now God is in them and his presence lives in them. You know what that means? That they are priests from the inside to the outside world. So it means that they are no longer confined. Praise God, right? Priests aren't confined to the temple. Priests aren't confined to, to wear a certain thing, right? They're not confined to a certain place or, or they're not super spiritual people group or a place or temple or season or a time of year. And they only act like they represent God when they're on the clock. But when God lives in you, you are always priest of God know what that means we all are and should consider ourselves in full-time ministry i thought i was the only one right but you 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 even better you're in full-time ministry and you don't get paid you free right that's great being a kingdom of priests means there is nothing you do or should be doing that isn't defined hear me defined by the mission and movement of god you always have your green uniform on, sort of on the inside, right? You might just be a slack priest, right? Or a minister who, or, or trying to run or hide from it right now. But if you are a believer, because God lives in you by faith in Jesus, because he's present in you forever, you have been ordained, here's a good word, ordained spiritually as a believer operating in the general office of priest. Your life belongs to him. So guess what? So your job and your recreations and how and why you do it belong to the priesthood now, which changes everything about everything you do and everyone you come in contact with every day, everywhere you do it for the rest and all of your life. But there's more about the priesthood thing I want you to see. Because the priest is not just moved by God, they are moved by the world. You ever seen those, um, I don't know where you, I've seen it a couple of times, these creepy masks um, where it has a face on the front and the back. It's kind of weird. It, you don't know what side the person on or whatever. Okay, anyway. And if they do it right, they got the crisscross clothes with a clothes in the back and the front. And oh man, that's creepy, right? Because you're like, are they looking at me? Or, hello, right? That is you. If you're a believer, not to scare people or because you're two-faced. The Bible says don't be two-faced. That's not a good thing. Double-minded anyway. But you have a single purpose as a priest in everything you do and all you are, which is this, that you face God, right? You're moved by him in your heart. And then at the same time, you are outwardly facing life. You are the person we see as you in the flesh. You are someone's next door neighbor or boss or employee or teacher or mother or husband or Fortnite online partner or friend, right? That means God calls us to be people who face this world to see it 
and listen to it and let it impact us. To turn, if you will, to turn, to have relationship with others and the world's institutions and issues and brokenness and beauty and civilization, which means God has called you to be priests in your vocations and family roles and recreations and creativity and housework and chores and schoolwork and everything in between. To actually be there, right? To, to be actively present and being in the spot or place to actively listen for ways God can use you to intercede or intervene or protest or interrupt or involve yourselves if necessary. And that would mean, like John here, you and I are called to be and live and work and create with and for others. For others. See, it's interesting about the priesthood in the Old Testament. Um, they were the only people group who didn't have a land, right? The rest of the tribes had a land. You know who the priests belonged to? God and the people, not themselves. Right? That's who we are. Now, we have some, some grace. We, we, some of y'all have homes and, and cars, and y'all got some land. That's nice, right? But you, as a believer, you... <laughs> Y'all didn't know this? I know Christianity has gotten real selfish and, and, and has been swallowed up by, by all kind of greed. And, and Christianity has become about how you get your religion to get more material things, how to be free to do and be who you want to be, right? When you go out into the world, I want you to just look at all the people, go to the mall, look, when you're in traffic, you're going to have that on 7785 right now and 277, right? When, when you're around all these people, right, I want you to see those people, right, you belong to them. You're the priest. You're theirs if you're God's, right? Somehow along the way, I don't know if it's our Americanism. I don't know what it is. We felt like we can just be us and that our Christianity means we can just be ourselves and be selfish and to ourselves, when the Bible clearly says we are priests of God in this world. We're not talking spiritual priests. I'm, I'm kind of a priest spiritually. That, that don't mean nothing. No, it says on earth. That means we put ourselves in the in-between. It's a hard place to be. I'm not trying to say this is easy. We're going we to tease it out more over the next few weeks. But we're called to be in the in-between of feeling the world's tension and pain and struggle and beauty and potential for glory while knowing and longing and waiting and working for what is coming and what can heal and what can redeem and what can comfort the world around us. Which means if you're a believer, you like no one else are freed by what you know about God's grace to be out there, to go to work in the morning, right? To, like your job means something more than just getting a paycheck. If you're there, then you are serving in the priesthood in what God is calling you to do. To go to work in the morning, to go to the gym. Oh yeah, when you're working out, person next to you, wipe off your machine with your sweat. That might just be enough for the priesthood right there, right? That person's nice. They wipe their sweat off the machine. Why? Because they're there for you. 
to serve, to go to school, y'all. When you go to school, guess what? Go to school, make good grades for the glory of God, but go to school with, with, with an idea that you're not just there for yourself. You're there for the glory of God and those around us. To go to the neighborhood meetings, to go to a political meeting even, and yes, to get on Facebook, I'm gonna give y'all permission, and Instagram and Snapchat, but as part of a kingdom, a people among people who are there with the Lord for others. To be there, in our final point here, to share. To share our privileges and share as a people of privilege. Family got to hang out with the McLean family in Easter. Thank you, McLeans. Y'all can wake up now. Hey, okay, just kidding. I'm playing with y'all. We got to hang out with the McLean family at Easter, even though they had the fixed Easter egg hunt. Um, I realized that your son won the event. My boys couldn't win the $20 golden Easter egg. Anyway, but we still love y'all. Um, but we got to hang out with the McLean family Easter. We had an awesome time. And as you know, two of their children, Habtamu and Imani, are from Ethiopia. And so, as you can imagine, they are a family of more than one culture. I mean, uh, Levan has all kind of seasonings. I mean, that, woo, all kind of stuff. Somebody clapping over there. Somebody you know firsthand? Okay, okay. Anyway, and um, so they have more than one culture. And some of the things they were telling us about Ethiopia kind of made me curious. So I started reading and watching as many documentaries as I could. <laughs> and I started reading up and watching about the legendary Ethiopian king, Haile Selassie, and whose original name I learned is Tafari, right? But like the kings and queens in England, he changed his name when he became king. Uh, Ross is chief, Rastafari as in Rastafarian, for those who worshiped him as a second coming of Christ. And he personally denied this himself. He's not the second coming of Christ. But you can see how much respect the man garnered. In fact, he was known to his people, and especially those who came to worship him, unfortunately, as the conquering lion. You can imagine why. After 55 years of ruling over a people, uh, and this is what I just read, y'all. Maybe it's different. 83 different languages, right? With up to 200 different dialects and 80 ethnic groups. That's why a lot of people called him the king of kings, right? Because all of these ethnic groups had different tribal leaders. He was well-respected by his people because he was benevolent, progressive, and engaging, and diplomatic between all the tribes and languages and tongues and people in his country kind of leader. He made all kinds of trips to the, to, to the country, to all these tribal groups to bring unity and respect and progress while defending Ethiopia from colonization and at one point fascist Italy. As much as I too have grown to respect that king, Based on what I learned about him, he was not the conquering lion. And as once the head of the Ethiopian church, he would agree with me that Jesus is the conquering lion, as the scripture says. But that he, but that he King Selassie, was called in his position to reign, to rightly rule with the heart of the conquering lion which meant he used his place, he used his calling to be a world leader. His privilege, his life for the benefit of the people God had put around and under him. 
Look with me at verse 5 here in chapter 5. It says here, oh man, gosh, this is small. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. And then jump down at verse 9 again. And it says that they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open his seal, for you were slain by your blood. You, but, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And listen to this. And they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, the conquering lion, the one who defeated all enemies known to humanity by destroying and overcoming sin and death and the grave, he expects people, especially and particularly you Christians out there, to reflect his conquering kingdom rule and reign in their everyday lives. What does this mean? This means using our God-given places and privileges to better the world around us. The world should be a better place to live in for everyone, Christian and non-Christian, because believers are there. When I was Clemson, I took a class on African history, and we studied the colonization of Africa. And, and here was the conclusion that so many places in Africa were left worse after colonization than they would if the so-called modern world had never come. In fact, FDR, after World War II, he dogged his European allies for advancing and, and becoming rich from their colonization and takeover of countries they claimed to be helping, but they, they left in the dark ages while they lived rich on the privileges. They used their privilege to keep their privilege, and it didn't bring better. This is what the conquering lion, Jesus, and his kingdom of people came to do. Look at chapter 7's verses here. It says here, Therefore, there before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And we know this is a future heaven thing. But listen what his saying should be going on and characterizing our lives now. They serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here is what believers, Christians who claim to be of Jesus, need to ask: Is my world better? or bettering for others, for the nations, for the tribes, for different people groups because of my presence, or am I just better and trying to get better? Is my company or bank better off? Is my neighborhood or city or country or family or medical profession or politics or government? It is where you are right now, whatever you do, wherever you're doing it or going or possibly where you are coming from, experiencing the privileges of your king, the conquering lion, as you go. Are the tears of the fall of just living in the broken world? Are they being wiped away from people's faces? Is as comfort and relief and rest and reparation and ransom for suffering who are bound and enslaved by sin being brought through you and me and us? 
Our chains being broken over the injustice and fears from uptown to downtown and all around this town in the business community and in the helpless community through Christians taking the lion's share in this world engaged in the common good who are working and playing and recreating and seeking to bring beauty and innovation of technique and carefulness and students who are studying and learning and, and just being good classmates by helping others be able to learn and teachers creating healthy learning environments and are we helping helping those teachers get fair wages, and on and on, y'all. Why? Because Jesus, your Lord, is the conquering lion of all broken things. I say yes. Look at this congregation. So many amazing things are happening through y'all. Sometimes I think you just need to realize what part you're playing. When you go to work, as you work for the bank, you know, sometimes that's a bad word. Where you work? The bank. Dun, 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 right? When you work for the bank or Babylon, whatever you want to call it, right? <laughs> I need Babylon. Shoot. Babylon, can you give me a loan? Low interest? Anyways, like, when you work... Y'all know that you're working in the reign of Christ Jesus? That you're in a place where God's put you, that he can conquer the tears and injustices and issues going on? That is what some of you are doing right now? If you would just take hold of it and believe it and embrace your calling. We are called to reign under the banner and mission of his kingdom privileges. And being labeled privileged these days, it's like putting a bullseye on your head for those fighting for social justice, right? You're privileged. But kingdom privilege means putting bullseye somewhere else. Look at what it says about the honor and wealth of the lamb in chapter 5. It says here in chapter 5, verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Listen what he receives. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's privilege. It covers every part of privilege, right? These are the points of privilege here. Right? This vision, of course, is about now and the now and later coming king and king and people. It all won't come and be perfect today. And now, and now, and now but Jesus giving us a gift of divine privilege while we live here. And I know some of you are good people and you're not committed to Jesus or church or community. And I'm sure you're doing some very good things. God bless you. But, but are you sharing in the power and love of divine privilege that will bring real eternal change on earth? You see, for God's people to be called to reign here, it can only mean one thing, an incredible thing. It means their lives have been conquered by the loving and powerful rule of Jesus the line of Judah. But when they're conquered, they are more than just conquered to be enlisted or forced into servitude. That's not how Christianity works, no. But to reign on earth as those conquered 
by Jesus' love. Do you remember the scrolls with the seals we talked about? Well, those scrolls, I mean, it's amazing. They're like God's living will and testament for a world of people. One commentator says that the scrolls are the title deed of mankind's inheritance. An inheritance, y'all, right? You know, everyone wonders, you got that, you got that rich uncle? You, you, you got a rich God, right? Like, there is an inheritance. What's in the inheritance? It, it, we just read about it, right? Honor and power and wealth and glory, right? And dignity, right? The, 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 but, the, but it's the title deed of man's inheritance, an inheritance that unfortunately we lost and it keeps slipping away from us and that we'll never fully get on earth, that the devil and sin took away and that many of us have forfeited and flunked out and receiving. But the scripture is saying the lion of the tribe of Judah has saved it for us, y'all. He reclaimed um, the life that we should have in an inheritance and eventually will fully experience freedom free from suffering, free from pain, free from injustice, free from abuse, free from turmoil and evil. And that inheritance is coming in full one day for those who have been conquered by Jesus and who now reign because and with him. But until then, you know what it means to reign as those who will inherit all that Jesus has for us? means, again, that you are more than an enlisted servant in God's kingdom. But that when and because Jesus conquers your life in this world, you become his family. You're his children. When the lion conquers you, you are fully adopted as his people. And membership in Jesus' family has privileges and makes you privileged. Jesus come to make a privileged class, a privileged race of people from every tribe and tongue and language and socioeconomic group and all ages and all ages in history. Privileged with being his by grace, right? And when you are his, the inheritance is yours. The power and the glory and the honor that is due him is given and shared by grace with you and me. Why is that important? Because it is in recognizing and actually feeling, experiencing the lion's share of his grace. The grace that made the lion a sacrificial lamb for your sins to win you, to get you an inheritance that you didn't deserve or earn to restore your dignity and worth and glory that you in this world has tried so hard to take away. Jesus ransomed you. And now it is, it is his grace, that grace, that calls and drives and fires us up to engage this world. Because Jesus engaged you from his place of privilege. He has begun to wipe the tears from the eyes of those who look to him for mercy and hope. And now we in turn engage the world with a lion's share of his grace. I leave you with these words. And Brad sung it earlier from Lauren Hill's song, Conquering Lion. And it says this, the conquering lion shall break every chain. Give him the victory again and again and again. Give him the victory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the conquering lion. You called your people to engage this world with a lion's share of privilege.
and grace and love. Use us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.